quarter to three board games podcast for the end of April 2021. My name is Tom Chick, and I am not playing Friday. And this is Hassan Lopez, and I'm not playing Ghost Stories. Mm. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing That's So Clever. Oh, say it in German, Mike Pullman. Uh, Ganz schön clever. Very good. <laughs> now say the name of the sequel in uh, German. Uh, Doppelt so clever. Man, wait, are you are you looking at BGG? Did you no, cheat? Or no, you... I, I took German earlier in life. So. Oh, well, that's cheating as well. <laughs> Taking German and then, yeah. You know. um, so well, you guys aren't playing these games. Uh, who here, raise your hand, is now fully vaccinated? My hand is in the air. <laughs> Mine is too. I have uh, w- one week left on my two weeks post-second dose. So you guys should now uh, – we're basically all on the verge of sitting around a table again, right? <laughs> I wish. I wish. I've been I've been starting to push my game group to, to take the dive, but there's some there's some hesitancy still. Um, oh, actually, what, what is the hes- hesitancy, Hassan? Um, that's a, that's a, it's complex. I mean, everybody has their own, I guess, personal, uh, sort of sense of when it will be appropriate to jump back into life. One of the guys is expecting a new baby very, very soon, like within a couple of weeks. And so his hesitancy is perfectly understandable. He's really just trying to minimize risk as much as humanly possible around his pregnant wife. Um, Well, also, I don't know if he knows this, but he's not going to be playing board games for several years. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah, No, I know. This is number two for him. But this is also, by the way, this is the same guy who's obsessed with Twilight Imperium and plays every week, like, (laughs) multiple games and is in tournaments and shit. So he's he's wasting plenty of time playing board games, just not with with us in person. Right, right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I've got like I, I think I'm the probably in the group, like probably the third person to f- get fully vaccinated. So literally this weekend, uh, I'm hoping to sit around the, the table with folks. And actually, over the past week with the game that I'm going to talk about today, I have been able to play it with, with other people. That's great. Um, That's yeah. Great. It's, oh, it's been such a relief. Yeah. Uh, Mike, what's uh, what's your so you've got a week to wait, Mike, and then yep. you're ready. So uh, I've been I've been gaming with family. Um you know, right. my wife and uh, stepkids and then uh, my sister sometimes. But as far as old gaming groups, we've started to talk about it. But we're all going to wait till you know, everyone in the group is vaccinated past, you know, their two weeks and so on. Right. But right. We're, we're starting to talk about it. I am super excited. Yeah. So what's the what's the first big game, Tom, do you think that you're going to try to pull out? So I've been able to recently uh, play multiplayer. Uh, the folks who did twilight struggle their most recent game is called imperial struggle mm. it is a two-player game uh that is uh 17th and 18th century france and england uh warring over their different colonies and holdings and war. so it's a big epic historical two-player game that i got to play with one of my friends this uh about a week or so ago and another one of my friends who just got vaccinated uh, he is available this weekend, so I'm hoping to sit down and play Imperial Struggle with him this weekend. Uh, fingers crossed. If That's not that, great. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, what about you guys? What's the first thing you would get to the table? Oh, that's tough. Um, I, I have this brand new box of Path of Light and Shadow that I have not yet unwrapped, and it's I've been waiting to show that to the group because I think they're going to like it. Do you guys? Are you guys aware of this at all? I've not heard of it. it. 
yeah, it's, no, I, it's, I like it. There's there's some cool stuff going on there. Yeah. yeah, it's it's from a few years old, and it's a it's an area control game with deck building. So that's totally right up our alley, and it's it's something that I've been saving for end of pandemic, just uh, as a kind of celebratory game. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in there. I like that. Mike, what's the first thing you would put in there? I think we'll probably bring out an old classic. Uh, the people I pl- likely will get together to game with first. One of our, our longtime favorites is Lords of Waterdeep, so I suspect that'll be first. You can't see this, Mike, but I'm wrinkling my nose in disdain. <laughs> it's not an amazing game. but it's... No, we, we, we spent a whole podcast where I tried to defend Lords of Waterdeep from both Tom and Bruce's disdain. It was it was quite an exercise. Yeah, I, I will say this, Mike. You could do worse. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could. All right, well, let me start out with what I have been able to, to play recently. I uh, This is actually, according to the Tom Chick lexicon of game terms this is a solitaire game but according to the wider usage of game terminology it's a co-op game uh but i did get to play it cooperatively with uh, someone else it's a recent z-man release i say recent maybe a year or so old uh called paleo as in you know paleolithic or the paleo diet or uh, it, you, you you play a tribe of cavemen and it's a survival game uh and I mentioned at the outset of the podcast Friday because I don't like Friday at all. Friday, I like the basic idea of Friday. It's a, it's a deck management solitaire game um, where you're just trying to survive uh, as Robinson Crusoe stranded on an island. So, uh, but, but Friday is really, I think, punishingly difficult. It's super mathy. Uh, I think it's a little bit uh, dry for, for my purposes. Um, but I do like the basic idea, and what I respond to in Paleo is it feels like a more fleshed-out version of what Friday is doing, hmm. in that you burn through this deck of cards, and as you burn through it, you are culling the deck of bad cards, and you're putting good cards in there, but you're spending resources to do it, and the deck represents basically time-passing Uh, And each time you go through the deck, you get a little weaker. So you have to basically survive multiple trips through this deck. And that's the the paleo works the same way. And you've got a deck of cards. You flip over a card, you resolve it. And then once you get through that deck of cards, that represents a day. So once you've done that, you then shuffle the cards together. Now, what you did over the day, hopefully you hunted some food. Because now you have to feed all your cavemen. And then if you feed all your cavemen, you then shuffle the deck and you do it over again. Mm. And you go through this deck every day. You feed your cavemen every night until you get five little pieces of a caveman painting. And they're basically just victory tokens. Once you get five victory tokens and you've assembled a little caveman painting of cavemen stalking a woolly mammoth, then you've won the game. However, if you ever can't feed a caveman or if he dies fighting a bear or whatever, you get a skull. And if you get five skulls, you lose. So it's simply a race to get those five victory points, representing the cave uh, painting pieces, before you get the five skulls. Pretty straightforward. Now, as you flip over a card, you've got resources to deal with what challenge the card presents you. Uh, Generally, those resources are icons on your little cavemen. Like some of them are good at fighting, some of them are good at crafting, some are good at awareness. So if you flip over a scout, for instance, 
a snake, for instance, you need scouts who have awareness. And if they have awareness, yep, the snake doesn't hurt you. They maybe even cull it from the deck. You got rid of that snake and uh, you avoided the damage that your cavemen would have take, taken. But if you flip over, say, a wild boar, well, then you need cavemen with spears because they'll kill the wild boar. You'll get its pelt, which does something special, and you'll get some food. And furthermore, as you hunt animals, you cull them from the deck. So as you're going through these multiple days and as you're depopulating the forest of animals, you know, there are fewer and fewer animals to eat with each successive day. So that's kind of a clock as well. That's pretty cool. That's a, that's a nice little thematic touch there to that mechanism. Now, what, what, if you, what if your dude doesn't have spears, but my dude does? I assume that I can kind of help you in some way. Exactly, Hassan. And that is one of the big differences from Friday. And that is where this really is a co-op game. Uh, Hassan, like if we were playing three players, we would each have our cavemen. And yeah, so Hassan, maybe you've got spears and I've got the scouts that have awareness that can avoid snakes. If you flip over a snake, what happens is the deck that we have to get through in Friday, one player, one deck. In Paleo, if we've got three players, we take that deck of cards... And we just split it three ways. I deal it into three different decks. Mike, here's yours. Hassan, here's yours. Here's mine. Mm -hmm. So we all flip over a card simultaneously. And the cards have multiple options on them. Generally, let's say I run into a wild boar. If I've got spears, I can hunt it. If I don't have spears, it's going to hurt me. But mm -hmm. if I have a torch, I can burn that torch and just scare it away. It goes in the discard pile. We didn't kill it, but it didn't hurt me. But almost every card also has at the very bottom the option to help another player. So, Hassan, if you turn over a snake and it's going to bite you because you don't have any scouts with that awareness skill, instead of me hunting the boar that I turned over, I can say, okay, I'm going to do the help option, and Hassan, I'm going to help you deal with that snake with my scouting guys. Mm. So now we burn the snake out of the deck. We didn't kill the boar, but it's just going to get discarded, and we know it'll come back around. Like, that boar is still in the deck. I, we didn't mm -hmm. lose it. We'll get another chance at it. But more importantly, we got rid of that stupid snake. Now that's out of the deck. So this idea of helping people, that's part of the decision space when you flip over a card that isn't really present in Friday because Friday is only ever one player. Um, so then maybe on the other hand, Mike over here, he had the opportunity to gather wood in a forest. But he maybe didn't have the crafting that it takes to, to fell a tree. So mm -hmm. we decide, do we deal with the snake? Do we take down the boar? Or do we come over here and help Mike with that tree to get wood for later on? Mm -hmm. So I love the decision space with multiple players. Um, and because the game is all about this pool, anytime there are, somebody dies, it doesn't matter if Mike's guy died or if my guy died, we get a skull. So there's this pool of we can suffer five deaths as a group. So it doesn't really matter if my guys die versus Mike's guys necessarily. It's not like I can take a certain number of deaths. Uh, furthermore, Hassan, if you're super powerful, you can just as easily help yourself as me or Mike. Uh, it, 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 it's very collective in terms of how you have to think about it. So, so you're not going to... You're not going to get mad at me if I'm the guy who's getting all the skulls, like I'm so, the weak, weak sauce in the game? <laughs> hopefully, no, I will not, because because my guys have died, I'm eating less food. <laughs> so, so you might be super strong, but you're hogging up all the food. 
But the game doesn't really present it that way. It's just that you need to discard food equal to all the cave members as, as a group, all of us, uh, unless – and here was a situation I was in, Hassan. I was playing cooperatively with a 12-year-old who is pretty precocious and good at board games, but he wanted his dudes to have the best, best stuff. Like, <laughs> When he had the option to kill a boar and get its pelts, or even better, there's a, a almost like magical hat you can get. It's like a chieftain's hat. Fuck yeah, get that, I want that. Yeah. Exactly, right. He definitely wanted the chieftain's hat. He didn't want me to – like he he was upset if I got the chieftain's hat. Uh, <laughs> so there's that whole dynamic, and that's just part of, you know, I think playing with, with kids. Um, but it definitely does incur and, – and as a result, by the way, we lost several games. I mean I think it's a game – you have to play it collaboratively like that right. uh, to beat the puzzle of the cards in the deck. Um, so I really like that about it. And there's no hidden information, so it's super easy for me to play you know, three or four-handed. Um, and what that does is each of our respective decks is smaller, so each of us has a shorter day, but we have more options for how to help each other. Um, so I like how the, the player count scales a lot. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. One thing I've seen about this game that intrigues me is that the the backs of the cards are different from each other. Um, yes. And do they kind of give you a hint as to what's on the other side? So can you can you talk about that? Yeah. So so um, that's the other thing that sets it apart from Friday. And Friday, I flip over a card, and it can be there's no indication what it's going to be. In Paleo, every card has a backing based on what biome it is. So rivers are where you hunt animals, forests are where you get wood, and mountains are where you get stone. It's that simple. And if we need food, we need to go to the river. Now, there's a couple of birds in the forest you can hunt for for food, but mainly food will always be at a river, wood will always be one of the options in the forest, and stone will always be one of the options at the mountains. So there's a sense of, and, and furthermore, we don't flip over the top card of our decks. We look at the next, and you can always look through your deck, by the way. I love this. Uh, we look through the top three cards of our deck and then collaboratively decide, okay, Hassan, you've got all the spears. You go to the river because that's where the hunting is. Mm. Mike, your guy has crafting. You try to find a big old tree you can knock over. Uh, and also one of the backings is go back to camp. We can craft stuff. We can get a new tribe member. Uh, and maybe I'm going to go to camp. And camping always, always, always lets you help someone else. Because mm. sometimes in these biomes, there are uh, ambushes. Like, some, like that snake I talked about. The snake is just hanging out in the woods. You're, you're just going there to get lumber. And whoops, a stupid snake is going to bite you. And you can't do anything with a snake unless someone helps you. Like you can't help someone else. So within the context of these biomes, we know, for instance, on our first run through the, the deck on our first day if we get that stupid snake out of the forest we know that from now on the forest is safe hmm. so there's this great sense of securing the forest or braving the mountains to make sure you get rid of that rock slide which kind of represents like laying infrastructure or exploring um so i like that that's part of the deck management is paying attention to what biomes are secure and what are and there are also other kinds of card backs like there are dreams that you can fold into the deck and those are always helpful but you mm. don't really start with any um there are strangers that if you give them resources they'll help you 
Uh, and you can always see the back of the card as footprints. So you know, oh, look, I've got a stranger coming up. Um, now, here's the thing. So a while ago, I talked about an, uh, even what it was called, uh, an Arkham, uh, a Lovecraftian-themed like puzzle game. What's that silly thing called? It had uh, uh, Dreams in the Witch House, I think. It's part of a series. Um, and Hassan, one of the things you asked me when I was talking about it, it's a deck-based puzzle with Lovecraftian theming. And you said, well, once you solve the puzzle, is it replayable? Uh, and my, my response was, well, yeah, kind of just going through the motions of solving the puzzle. That's still uh, a satisfying experience, even once you know the puzzle. With Paleo, to get those five pieces of the cave painting, you've got the base set of cards. You can't do that with the base set of cards. There's nothing in there, really, that gives you a cave painting piece. So what Paleo does is you get the base cards in a box, and then there are what are called 10 modules. Mm. And you add two modules to your deck when you play. And the modules represent things like a herd of mammoths, or a pack of wolves, or a, a disease, or a harsh winter, or another tribe that you're fighting. So, so not good things, basically. <laughs> no, because that's Challenges. how you get... They're challenges, but they also add gameplay mechanics. But more importantly, that's how you get the cave paintings. Yeah. Is the only way you're going to get the cave paintings is meeting the objectives or challenges, yeah, that are in each of those modules. And the modules add helpful things as well as detrimental things. Hmm. Um, so the base game just represents playing with the woolly mammoths because they're not – they don't generally hurt you. You just kind of have to gear up to fight them. Uh, and it recommends – different module sets for different difficulty levels. Um, but, for instance, the winter module set adds a whole new winter biome, which you never want to turn those cards up if you can avoid it. But because they're in the deck, it now means that your days are shorter. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times what you're paying is you're just discarding cards face down off of your deck to represent passing time. Mm -hmm. So when you put all those winter cards in there, yeah, that's great. You can burn those to represent passing time, but there are that much fewer usable cards in your deck, and that mechanically represents the harshness of a, of a difficult winter time, uh, which I really like. So mm -hmm. those two things, the cooperative element and how you can always see the card backs and you're choosing which three off the top of your deck to play, that is a big addition to like player agency that I feel isn't present in, in Friday. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I really like this thing. Um, my, my main reservation about it, it's a $60 boxed game, and it doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. There is just mm -hmm. so much extra unnecessary cardboard in this dumb thing. It really should have been a $20 or $30 card game. But they give you these big old placards that like, hey, put this deck here, put that deck there, and that are completely unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> there's a big old 3D folding. Uh, it, it represents like a rack, and it's the stuff you can craft when you go back to camp. And it, uh, it stands up, and you're supposed to stick the card in it, and you stick tokens in these little slots where the things you can build. Um, and it's, it's completely unnecessary, and it also makes it really difficult to fit the stuff back into the box because also in the box – of an elaborately printed insert. So when you actually <laughs> fold the rack, the insert, like it, it's so, it's such, it, it's such a blatant way 
to turn this into a sixty dollar game instead of a twenty or thirty dollar game. Mm -hmm. uh, right, right. That I, I really there's a there's a graveyard too. Like when you burn cards out of the deck, which you want to do, you want to track what those cards are. Like for instance, you want to know how many woolly mammoths are left. You want to know did we get the snake out of the forest? So as you're calling cards, it's helpful to line them up where you can see what things you've gotten rid of. But they give you this little box that's just that the, the discarded cards go into that just, I guess, looks cool, but you're then constantly having to pull it out. Did we get the snake? Oh, yeah. How many animals are left? Let me look through here. So I just, I, I, it's, it's just so, so shameless yeah. uh, that they made this a $60 game. That drives me batty. Yeah. I mean, one, one question I had for you about this, and is this one, I, it's one I've looked at quite a bit, and I'm tempted by it as a solitaire option, but I, I mean, this also seems like a game that is is really struggling to convince you to play it cooperatively with other people to to sit around a table and have a discussion about which card to turn and to have conversations about your you know what what strategy you're going to pursue and to collaborate like you said on meeting these challenges. And so, does it lose a lot as a solitaire exercise, or do you think it's worth it just for that? So it, it sort of gets to my whole issue with a lot of cooperative games in that, you know, when I was playing with the 12-year-old and we were just figuring out the puzzle of each module set and how to solve it, um, it, it was – we had a good time and he certainly enjoyed it because a lot of it was talking about, you know, how are we going to deal with the mammoths? What are we going to do when the wolves come up? Uh, should we bring this hunter out? Um, but the issue is both of – neither of us really knew the game well. Once we knew the game well, he wanted his mother to play with us, which which was great. We didn't have time for that. But the problem then would have been she was playing a game that we knew well. She didn't know well. So it would be in her best interest as a collaborative game to ask us – to basically ask us, what should I do? Because, <laughs> right. because we knew the cards and she didn't, and that's yeah. just the nature of this game. And the game yeah. tries to be really coy with this idea of – Oh, don't spoil the surprises. You know, there's even cards that you put face down. They're called like secret cards, but they never change. I mean, anytime you play that module, you know what they are. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a game where once you solve the puzzle, there's still a lot to do and a lot to manage. But until you solve the puzzle, I think it's kind of stupid because, <laughs> because it's, it, it's just going to sucker punch you with stuff that when you play for real, you know, oh, that's what this module does. That's how it works. That's what I need to anticipate happening. Right. Um, right, so right. cooperatively, it's only ever going to be as good as you are willing to swallow your pride and ask someone who knows the game better than you what you should do. Mm -hmm. um, and I just think that's a, that's a, a co-op issue. Um, yeah. yeah. So it also, like, when you guys, has either of you played much, um, like, Arkham Horror, the card game? Uh, only a little bit of the card game. I played a lot more of the the board game. Yeah. Now, when you when you play a game like that, how do you feel? Like some people say, you play it and then you've solved it, and now there's no replayability. Like now I know what the secret is or what the gimmick is. Um, my feeling with the the Arkham Horror Living Card Game, anytime I sit down to play that, I look through what all the cards do. Like I look through the scenario. I look through the different options for the locations. Like. I don't want to waste a playthrough figuring out stuff that I will know if I play it again. Sure. I just jump straight to the playing again element. And if it's a good game, 
which I think living uh, the Arkham Horror living card game is, it'll bear up under that. Um, now, this whole idea of that's, that's, that's crazy, Tom. You're crazy. Yeah, especially that's, like in a in a story centric <laughs> game. I'm thinking of like the Arkham Horror board game, right? There was those cards that right. did something terrible to you every round, and not knowing even what was possible that was coming, like you know. It's going to end the game in two turns. Uh, right. It's kind of a nice surprise as you're playing. I uh, mean, Tom, you, you close your eyes for previews, right? So, like, correct. I mean, I don't, I don't understand why why you would do that, but, like, read through the cards, you know? Like, sure. it, does, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I can answer that. Because, to me, the game is about the system. Uh, you know, a, 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 a linear story, like a movie or a book... I'm not gaming any system. I don't need to know any system. I just need to know how to open my eyes and watch a movie and you know the English language so I can read the book. That's all that's all the participation that's needed from me. But if I have to manage a system, I I want to know all the pieces of it. Mm. And if the system is about discovering those pieces, which I think is what a lot of escape rooms are, is yeah. once you learn the escape room puzzle piece, there's no replayability there. Mm-hmm. Like the system is discovering it. But I feel that in Paleo and in the Arkham Horror card game, uh, Marvel Champions, I do the same thing. As I look at exactly all the stuff the villain is going to do. Right. Uh, I look at all of his cards. I, I feel that if uh, that knowing all the components and what they do and then managing the system, uh, if it's a good game, it bears up under that. <clears throat> That's Otherwise, it's just yeah. a it's just a play it once escape room. You solve it, you're done. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean the the one thing that it rings true for me there is 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 the Lord of the Rings living card game, which I still have a deep love for, and that's a that is a game where a lot of the scenarios um, you come to realize that they require a particular deck in order to defeat them, and and it can be extraordinarily frustrating to play through a scenario with like your favorite deck and then realize. That it's just throwing encounter cards and punches at you that your deck is it was never designed to handle, and then you're like, oh, okay. So now that I've played through it once, I realize I need to just rejigger this thing in a totally different way, um, and I find that kind of frustrating. So, so reading reading through all the cards first would alleviate that problem. But you do, or you don't do that. I like don't you... do that. No, I'm not fucking crazy like you. So. <laughs> So you go through, you basically waste a playthrough. That's right. That's right. Doing something that you could have that's right. gotten past by just looking at the cards. Because that's what the designer wants me to do, so I'm going to do uh, it. <laughs> authorial intent can die in a fire. <laughs> yeah, no, I know that a lot of people do. Because for, for seriously, for a lot of people, like the appeal of the Arkham Horror card, card game is what's going to happen, you know? It, it, they, like, they enjoy that sucker punch of discovering oh, I've set myself up for a loss. Uh, Yeah, so, yeah, all right. Uh, So, Paleo. So, Hassan, just in closing, I would heartily recommend uh, Paleo. As far as that kind of deck management puzzle and how much flexibility the puzzle has with the modules, uh, I think it's a a really good design. It's a first-time designer, too, I think. Yeah, Um, yeah. Nice. No, I've I've been keeping an eye on it, and I'm basically waiting – I'm going to wait a long time for its price to hopefully drop because I don't yeah. want to spend that much on it. Yeah, and and really you shouldn't. Like I said, it's a it's a it's a it's a real boondoggle for just printing a mess of cardboard and and marking the price up. Yeah. So, all right, Mike, I want to hear and I want to warn you about something, Mike. Okay. I feel that the period in history you're about to talk about is the single most boring period in history. <laughs> so. It, 
if you hear snoring while you're talking about Hadrian's <laughs> Wall, don't take it personally. Blame the Romans. <laughs> All right. All right, so, so tell us about what you're playing. So I played a game called Hadrian's Wall, which is actually based on a historical wall built in uh, 122 AD by the Romans in Britannia to block off the Picts from invading from the north. So that's just kind of the setup. The game actually reminds me a lot of those games I mentioned at the outset, uh, the dice rolling games, uh, Ganshun Clever and Davoltso Clever. And in those games, uh, you'd roll some dice and kind of draft them between players, and you'd fill in these tracks. And they'd have different rules where, like, this number had to be bigger than this one, and so on. But I think there was, only, at least in Doppelzo Clever, there were, like, five or six different possible places you could allocate dice. Hadrian's Wall They're takes... They're, like, crazy Yahtzee games, right? Yeah. So Hadrian's Wall uses, uh, it's the roll part of a roll and write, but doesn't use dice. Um, instead, it uses these resources. Uh, so in, uh, instead of, you know, it's pure randomness and numbers, uh, every turn you're going to get uh, a kind of a random number of resources between four different types of workers and then just a generic one called, <clears throat> excuse me, resources, which is just like a brick. And then, and I, um, and I, and I yeah. have to interrupt there. And I remember seeing someone do a playthrough of this. And when they first introduced the idea that the resource was called resources, it just pissed me the fuck off. <laughs> like, why but, can't you do just like a little bit more work with that? Right. Called stone oh, or clay. God, yes. <laughs> it's, that, that's what makes me want to snore is when someone calls a resource in a game a resource. resource yeah. Uh, so there's uh, four different kinds of people that you end up allocating. There are um, uh, civilians, uh, builders, soldiers, and servants, which are basically slaves. And they actually call that out in the rules as, you know, this is an unfortunate part of history, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, so Doppelt So Clever, like I said, had five or six possible things to allocate your rules to. This game has closer to 30. Mm. So oh. there, there, it actually, the game takes two uh, tear-off sheets when you pick up the box for this game, it's super heavy, and it's because there's these giant pads, two of them that are, I think, 250 sheets each, mm. that makes the box just a, a ton. So shipping it, probably not great. Um, but you are uh, allocating resources and people to do different actions. And the goal of the game is to build this wall, uh, because in between each turn, the picks are going to attack. And if you haven't built enough defenses on... Uh, one of those sections of the wall that's left, center, and right, uh, you start getting these disdain points, which are going to be negative points at the end of the game. So you have all these different tracks. Some are for building. Uh, some are for producing more resource. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, after, for example, after you build, you can build a small workshop. And after that, every turn, you're going to need one additional builder each turn. Or you can train your builder guys into soldiers. And there's... You start getting into this, uh, the different, the five different kinds of uh, resource tokens end up changing a lot. Where I'll spend a blue and a purple, and I'll get back uh, one of the resource. The I won't say that. I'll say stone for now. <laughs> one, of the, uh, one of the stone markers. So while at the beginning of the game or beginning of each turn, you may have nine or ten different uh, little pieces in front of you, you may end up going back and forth to the pool twenty times by the end of a turn because mm. all of these tracks have different rewards along them. And a lot of them give you workers back, maybe of a different color, uh, or might increase your production for or for in between turns. So I'm not going to go through all of the different things you can do on this, but it's on board game. Board game geek, this thing is rated above three on weight, but it plays in about 45 minutes. 
because of there's so much choice. It almost feels like a giant tech tree where, uh, you know, I have to finish this track or get it up to level three before I can build this other thing. And there's all these interconnected systems. So by the time we got to turn six, which was the, uh, the last turn, I think our, the turn took 15, 20 minutes. So it was, it, it was, it was kind of an exponential build of, of how complex your turns get because they keep triggering off these different tracks. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's very much like developing your engine and that engine just increases in complexity and power as you go through yep. these, these turns. Yeah. yeah. And so, and like I'm, the, the one sheet is all like your wall. So it's, it's got the fort and then on top of it, it's got the wall and then it's got guards and they're like, you have to build over so much of a, a section before you can build the defenses on top of it. And then the other sheet is all your civilians. So there's five different types of civilians. There's traders, performers, priests, etc. And they all have their own little tracks, uh, one to nine. And as you build them up, they give the ability to build buildings. So, for example, the priests let you build temples, <coughs> which would then give you other rewards and so on. So these all kind of interact where, um, you know, I'm trying to get additional... Well, i take a step back. The ultimate goal of the, the game is to get... There's these four stats. Uh, renown, Piety, Valor, and Discipline. And those give you your points. And then throughout the game, you play these goal cards... And you have six of them by the end of the game, which you get victory points, say, for finishing a complete wall section <coughs> or finishing two temples, things like that. So at the end of the game, you total up all of your stats, your goals, and subtract the amount of times, essentially, the attacks from the picks got through. Mm. And you get your score. So, Mike, you didn't say anything that sounded boring. There was nothing in there that <laughs> sounded distinctly Roman. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's just the theme. It is very much a an engine of a game where you're trying to set off these chain reactions where me playing one pink guy ends up, let me do six things because I do this, which gives me an ability to fill in another track and so on. Yeah. I, I, Tom, Tom, I might, I might argue with you there. I mean, I, some of that did sound boring to me because the, the, <laughs> and th that's not Mike's fault, but like, Mike did a great job explaining it. It's just that these games that, I mean, this is like such a game design, modern game design thing is, turning one thing into another thing which turns into another thing and it's like mm -hmm. this chain reaction and i'm supposed to get this pleasurable sensation from the fact that now i have five tokens instead of one and <laughs> and i can sometimes allow my brain to enjoy that if there's enough of a thematic connection to what i'm doing that i that i sort of get into it like oh i just yeah. built a temple and my priest just did this cool thing and the picks are coming and holy shit blah 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 if things get too mathematical, and I suspect Hadrian's Wall is pretty mathematical, if they get too mathematical, I kind of just—I'm I, going to lose interest. It's not my—it's not my style of game. Right. And, right. and I approach this game thinking, oh, I'm going to try to look for constant combos I can kick off. Right. This does this. Does this? Does this? And instead, it's kind of analyzing your possibilities any any given time because of the, like the thirty-something actions you can do the possibility tree is really complicated. So it's hard to figure out ahead of time. And you're like, oh, I have a blue guy now, so I can do this. So it's right. kind of ends up being more reactionary, at least in our first playthrough. Um, do you know any of the other, uh, uh, I think it's, they're called Garpil, the, the publisher of this. Uh, they did the Raiders of the North King, uh, North Sea series. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, and then all those uh, Western Kingdom uh, games, like Paladins, Vicons, yep. and Architects of the Western Kingdom. Yeah, I've played um, uh, the Viking one, whatever that one's called. Oh, yeah, Raiders of the North Sea. Raiders of the North Sea, yeah. And so I've those played, are all uh, different. I played Architects also. 
And then those are all, I think, uh, Sam Phillips uh, designed mm-hmm. those. Or Shem. I'm sorry. What, what, they're brothers. One of them does some of the artwork. The other one does the design. I, I, Shem or Sam. I confuse them. I think Sam is the artist and Shem is the designer. But mm-hmm. uh, this is a new designer and they're publishing his game. Uh, do you see in this game design any similarities with what you might have liked in the West Kingdom or Raiders of the North Sea series? Not at all, because those were both very worker placement games. Now, yeah. they did interesting things with worker placement, like Architects, you start with all your workers and lose them over the course of the game. Um, but this is, it reminds me most of those dice games, just because of the tracks and the chain reactions and all that kind of stuff. Right, right. Um, my only, the only thing I'm not sure about this game is, so I played this with my wife last night, it is very much basically a solo game. That's what I was going to ask about, because there... which you're, you're making me want it even more now, Mike. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, in fact, once your turns start, we we started out since we were learning it. We were kind of watching each other do our turns, and then by the end of it, it was just like, all right, go, and then tell me what interesting things you did after the fact. Yeah. And that, that's, that's like roll and rights for you, though, isn't it? Like roll but and rights are notoriously non-interactive, aren't they? But I think on my sixth, my my last turn, last you know, I think I did twenty twenty-five things, so it would have been <laughs> a slog to talk through each step I was doing. <laughs> right. So why? So you you could have just played this solitaire though, like. Playing without your wife would it have lost anything? Correct. There are, but there are two actions. Uh, one is the market. So you're trying to. There's these uh, trade goods numbered one through six, and there's these fate cards that tell you which uh, uh, pieces you get each turn, and how strong or where the picks are attacking and so on. And it'll say for you can buy from the game trade good number four, and if you collect all six by the end of the game, it's worth the most points. Six being the most rare, one being the most common. So in addition to buying from the game, you can buy from people seated next to you. Mm. So um, Mm. I can, instead of giving the game a stone resource to get that trade good, I could have given it to my wife if she on her player card that turn had a number two, which I needed. So that's the first point of interaction. And then the second one um, had to do with, there's this thing called scouting, where you're basically drawing Tetris shapes in this little grid. And you have one shape that you can use based on which uh, turn card or player card you used. And then you could use one from someone seated next to you by, again, giving them oh. the appropriate resource to use their shape. Other so than they, those, those two they things... they cut those in the solitaire mode? Like, those just aren't there? Or do you know? No. You actually take... Uh, so the game comes with components for six players, or six different player decks. Uh, you take a random one and just shuffle it, and you turn up for... When you're playing two players, you turn up one random card. So you have your opposing player, the game, uh, and see. then rando. And when you're playing solo, you turn up two of those random cards. Right, right. So you still have the same number of options. Right. But that uh, is it. So this will definitely fit uh, Tom's solo game. Well, are you are you are you score chasing in the solo game, or what's the? Is there a win condition? It's just score chasing. So you're yeah. trying to see how high a score you can get. Yeah, I'm I'm into it. Well, here's mm-hmm. the other thing that I also really like about it. So they did uh, Raiders of the North Sea. I thought um, had some really cool ideas for how to. Uh, build worker placement around a shared group of workers and the workers are different colors based on where they can go and what they can do. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like, uh, Shem Phillips was really, um, exploring some cool ideas and it got a few expansions that fleshed it out. And then he sort of did a do over with a game called Raiders of Scythia mm-hmm. and Raiders of Scythia was like, I, I feel it completely obsoletes Raiders of the North sea. Unless you're really into the Viking motif. Uh, Raiders of Scythia is a, a I think they're a kingdom in the Caucasus, not around anymore, of course. Uh, so they just sort of changed the setting, 
but the same basic mechanics, including the stuff that he later added with the expansions. Uh, and it felt like a Raiders of the North Sea 2.0. And I really like Raiders of Scythia. I also really like, I haven't played Paladins, but I really like Architects and Vicons of the, of the West Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I hate about the West Kingdom series and Raiders of the North Sea, and I feel bad because it's the same artist, but boy, do I hate that caricature artwork. Like, I cannot stand those guys in that the game. Mi- the Miko? I love Miko. I like that artwork, uh, actually. Yeah, I mean, it's, it looks like it looks like web cartoon art. Like, it's... Ugh, ah. it just, <laughs> it's not my stuff. But I really, really like uh, Shem Phillips, the artwork for Raiders of Scythia, and he also did the artwork for Hadrian's Wall. I okay. like that sort of line drawing, a little intricate detail on the board. Um, yeah, it's a lot I, more realistic of a style. It, yeah, it, yeah. It, it pops out for sure. It's it's, yeah. it's it's quite dramatic. Yeah, I've I've seen some interesting conversations on BGG about people's uh, opinions about that style versus the Miko style. Um, yeah, but. yeah, and in the Miko style, like I can certainly understand its appeal, but it just it just it's like someone screaming cartoon at me when I'm trying <laughs> to like play a serious game, and they make it look like a penny arcade cartoon or whatever and i'm just like no this is serious history shut up with your dumb cartoon caricature you know what? uh so uh but yeah so uh i love the look of hadrian's wall and mm-hmm. if it had been designed by uh shim phillips it would be a, a no-brainer for me um yeah. but, uh, one, right. one thing i forgot to yeah. mention is there are three difficulty levels to play we played in the easiest and that basically determines how many cards you draw at the end of the turn to see how many of those three sections of your wall the picks are attacking um on just for a range on easy, it goes from one to 12 at the end and on hard, I think it's 18 cards on the last turn. So that's, you can only have six defense in any one of the sections. So it can actually overwhelm it just by randomness. Does it affect your, do you get a different score or is the idea you just score at different difficulty levels? So there's a, no, there's, it affects your score because the amount of attacks that get past your defenses is negative points and those are exponential. So, like one disdain is worth one negative point. Nine disdain is worth negative twenty-two points. So since this is a roll and write, which basically means just a couple of pads of paper, this yep. has got to be like what a twenty-dollar game. <laughs> I actually don't. I think it's a forty-ish-dollar game. Forty-five. No, it's maybe? definitely a full price. Like it looks like it might even be a fifty-nine ninety-nine. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. It's. I think our source sells it for forty-five. So that'd be right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. You can definitely. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's two giant pads of paper, a bunch of cards, and then there's these little player boards, which essentially are a place to put your uh, goal cards, and that's it. I mean, also, I'd, I'd, may, I'd maybe be tempted by it, but the, 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 but the solo score chase thing breaks it for me. Like, that's just not going to be enough to, to drive. You don't like score chasing, Hassan. No, no, it's just not enough. I need there to be a really clear-cut win-loss condition, um, some, some system in play that is, it is kind of fighting against me. Right, you weren't right. you weren't an arcade video gamer in the eighties. I mean, I was, <laughs> but I also remember like wanting to break Zaxxon every time I played. So. Hassan, do you own any games that have in the box right now a list of your or anyone else's scores that you've made in that game? Yeah, I actually I do keep so I do keep an Excel spreadsheet for for two games uh, that I keep my scores on. One of them is Mage Knight, and then the other is Nemo's War. So those I lo- oh, nice. I, li- I like that a lot, Hassan. Very good. Okay. <laughs> those, are the, those are the only two where I actually... But, but I will say that in 
um, in Nemo's War, like there is still like a win loss condition, you know, yeah. like it'll 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 tell you how sad how sad you are because of how bad you lost you know so. well and to be fair in mage knight like you 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 can lose as well like uh yeah. it's just yeah um, Absolutely. you get more points if you win right mm-hmm. right mike do you have a uh, high score list in your games nope i don't keep that stuff <laughs> i'm very disappointed in you mike I, I i didn't expect much from hassan but mike i'm really disappointed in you <laughs> I, any game with a score i'll look at it and say oh i won and then i'll forget about it so well you know what technically like when you played hadrian's wall with your wife did you yep. throw away the sheets that you wrote on or are they still in yep. the box um actually i kept these ones to of course you during did the podcast so <laughs> <laughs> but you wouldn't have normally thrown them out right um, normally, like a lot of times, games come with double-sided sheets, and I'll always keep those to reuse the other side. Otherwise, right. I'll I'll stash a couple, and then I'll start clearing them out. Huh? Well, I kind of feel like that is, since they have your score listed on them, mm-hmm. that in a way is like keeping your score. That's so, true. Good point. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Hassan, uh, I have never had to say the name of the designer whose game you're about to talk about. I've never had to say his name out loud, so I'm looking forward to seeing how you do this, because I'm going to imitate you, assuming that you actually know. Antoine Bowser. How's that? Oh, that's, that's probably what I would that's have good. said. I might have, I might have said Antoine. Okay, yeah, Antoine Bowser. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was hard. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about Last Bastion, um, which I think is one of Bowser's best designs. I'll just Ooh. I'll spoil it. I think, I think well, this is... <laughs> or do you think that about Last Bastion or Ghost Stories? Okay, well, let's get into that. So yeah. this requires a little bit of backstory, because many people probably know that Last Bastion is a reworking of or a re-implementation of a game called Ghost Stories. And I actually have a, a bit of a history with Ghost Stories. Back in 2008 was when I sort of re-entered into the board game hobby after many years away. And I suspect many, many of you guys have like a similar story to this, which is like when we were kids, I was really into board games. It was definitely one of my major hobbies. And then through college and grad school, I I tried to maintain it, but it started slipping and I started spending more and more times playing video games. And that certainly hit me as I entered into, into, you know, more, more job focused time. And then uh, in the early 2000s, it was kind of like this reemergence of the board game hobby everywhere, and I, that was. I also discovered that I had a little bit more disposable income, and so I jumped back into the hobby. And one of the first games that I purchased was Arkham Horror, and it was it was a great reintroduction to the hobby. And then, probably, I think the second or third game I ever bought was Ghost Stories, and both of these games were great. Um, solo games and that was kind of what i was having to play at the time because i didn't have a group to play with and ghost stories was notorious for being like this this hard as balls cooperative game um that was you you basically play like a, a a bunch of taoist monks that are collectively protecting this 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 poor village from some dude named Wu Feng, I think, like, who's like the Lord of Hell. And he's got this legion of ghosts and demons that are attacking this small village. And and long story short, it's 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 a really cool game. It's a great design. Um, Ghost Stories has a really cool theme to it. It's incredibly challenging. Um, and I, I obsessively played it probably a couple dozen times. That was actually a game, Tom, getting back to your point, where it did come with like a sheet where you could track your score. Um, and I do remember writing down 
every single time I lost because I think I maybe won that game once out of like the 20, <laughs> 20 times that I played it. It's brutal. Yeah. Brutally difficult brutal. game. Yeah, brutally difficult game. But I eventually traded it away. It was just something that I, I think I lost interest in, uh, in part because I think it was it was perhaps tuned a little too difficult. Um, fast forward to 2019 and Bowser releases Last Bastion, which is a reworking of Ghost Stories. But I would argue with um, some subtle but very significant improvements. Well, uh, let me set you up here because I think what... Uh... What you will find some people saying, and they tend to be big Ghost Stories fans, they've played a lot of Ghost Stories, they've kind of worked towards solving it, uh, Ghost Stories is a difficult puzzle, and there's you should feel very proud of yourself if you're good at Ghost Stories. So some people would look at Last Bastion and say, no, it's just Ghost Stories with a boring westernized orcs and goblins and demons motif slapped onto it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why would I want that? <laughs> Why would I want the interesting mythology stripped out of ghost stories right. in favor of some like Peter Jackson light nonsense? Right. And 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 to be frank, I I am sensitive to that. Like I, I there is a certain a certain sacrifice has been made in transitioning ghost stories to Last Bastion, but it's not one that bothers me. Like ultimately, I think that the 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 sort of boring fantasy trope that Last Bastion is touting. Um, doesn't bother me, and in fact, I kind of have fully embraced it. I I also think that the look of Last Bastion is just so strikingly beautiful. This is a game uh-huh. that I just love to look at, that even though I miss some of the unique thematic elements of Ghost Stories um, and the sort of the horror aspect of Ghost Stories that doesn't really show up in Last Bastion, um, overall, I like the look and feel of Last Bastion more. I, I, it's definitely supplanted ghost stories in my head. And I do feel, too, there are a couple of important mechanical differences that I would yes. really miss if I were to go back to ghost stories. I feel like uh, Bowser knows enough to have kind of tidied up or, or like that difficulty thing that you were talking about. Is Last Bastion easier than ghost stories? I think it is. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's just, I do think that Last Bastion is, if someone was going to ask me, like, hey, which one should I get? I would absolutely say you should get Last Bastion. I think it's yeah. the better of the two games. I mean, one of the things is it, not much of the game has changed, right? So it's still like you're going to, in theory, this is a game that can be played up to four players, and each of you takes a, a different. Uh, fantasy hero like a paladin or a bard or the, the there's like a dwarven hammer guy it's you know you know already who's in this game basically exactly. uh, right right and and each of you can take that or you can play this solo which is how i primarily play it where you you're going to you're going to operate those different characters all by yourself and it's totally not a big deal that's the way i would prefer to play this game um, exactly it doesn't take a lot of brain bandwidth to manage four no. characters yeah no yeah. not at all and and it's still got like this. Um, I mean, people call this a tower defense game. I, I think of it a little bit more like a like a horde mode game, where yeah, yeah you're you're protecting mm-hmm. this 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 fort, this bastion, from all these enemies that are going to be coming at you on your turn. You basically are going to reveal a new enemy, place it along one of the four walls of your fort, and then you're going to activate your hero um, within the fort itself. There are nine different locations. Each one has kind of a different effect. Like, for example, there's a trebuchet spot or there's a place where you can heal your hero. Um, the location, like sort of the the organization of these nine different locations, these nine different tales, gets randomized 
between games. So that's where some of the the between game variability comes from. So when you activate your hero, you can move them one space, you can move them orthogonally or diagonally. There's a lot of freedom there. And then you can either activate the space that you're on, the bastion location that you're on, or you can engage in an attack. And you'll often be attacking the monsters because you really do need to be fending them off. Your goal is to fend off these monsters, uh, approximately 40 of them, because you're working through this deck, uh, until you get to the big bad boss, the warlord, uh, and if you defeat that warlord, you basically win the game. Uh, unless you're playing at a higher difficulty, in which case you might have to defeat several of these warlords. But you're basically trying to wade your th- your through this this deck of monsters, and some of the monsters have some really nasty tricks. Like you reveal a card that basically says, "Okay, well, re- reveal another card," and then maybe that card says to reveal another card, and all of a sudden, instead of just revealing one monster on your turn, you've revealed three or four. Um, those turns just kick you in the nuts. And then in, in terms of fighting the monsters, it's a relatively simple system that does involve dice. Um, each of the monsters basically is color-coded and has a certain toughness or resistance. Like, for example, you might be fighting an undead creature that requires you to to have three blue icons, and then you roll these custom dice which have different colors on each of the sides and you're trying to roll three blue faces now that might be very challenging so of course the game gives you lots of tools to increase your odds for example you can go to locations within the bastion that give you equipment that are basically those icons so now i have some blue equipment that i can use to help defeat this monster Um, you can also go to locations in the bastion that basically say Get rid of a monster for free. You don't even have to roll dice, but at the sacrifice of one of your lives. Um, So there's a lot of really cool tools that you can play with. Each of the heroes has a different ability that you can play with. But, you know, in the end, it's a very simple and smooth game. You're just drawing a card. You're activating your hero. You're trying to get through this deck. There's a few different ways. You can lose, of course. If all of the heroes get wounded or die, you lose. If three of the tiles get haunted. I still actually use that term. That's the ghost stories term. I know, but right? It, <laughs> like if three what of the tiles... Evil, what's the name in, in Last Bastion? It's yeah, so it's, weird, like in the yeah, Evil Grasp. Yeah, Evil Grasp, something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> it's, 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 it's so much easier to just say haunted. Um, exactly, but right, right. if three of the tiles get haunted, you lose. Or if the deck runs out and you haven't killed the Warlord, you lose. Very smooth. Yeah, as a Siege game, I really like what it's doing for the variability of what you're defending the variability of who's doing the defending, the different character powers, and just, again, that whole deck management thing, knowing you've got to get through the deck. Uh, and w- when I play Last Bastion, again, I don't just discard stuff in a, in a stack. Like, I track everything that's been defeated so I know, like, what's still in the deck. Mm. Uh, like, I really like playing, again, Last Bastion is like a card puzzle. Like, we know we've got these monsters left because some of the monsters represent, like, ranged attacks, which kind of breaks this idea that they're haunting but you know they lob those evil grasps into the the village um like the different behaviors of the monsters as well uh so i i I love as a a siege game the variability that the three elements what you're defending what you're defending from and who's defending yeah Uh, absolutely yeah i don't think i'm as quite as careful as you but i that i will say that the enemies i track are the the black enemies because those guys are super nasty like for example there's a couple different 
of these black enemies that will lock up one of your dice until you defeat them. And you just got to fucking get rid of those guys right away. Um, there, it's, it's a very interesting game in that there are some enemies that come out and you can you can ignore them. Like, they're not actually going to bother you. And so they kind of give you a little bit of breathing room for a little while. And they allow you to maybe go to different locations in the Bastion and build up your resources and and kind of bide your time a little bit. And then there are some enemies that come out and you just immediately need to drop everything and, and get rid of right. those guys or your life's going to be miserable. Um, there's just so much cleverness in this game. Like, for example, the the timing of activation of the monster's special abilities. You know, it kind of, you can see that, oh, next turn I'm going to be on the blue board and that's going to activate these two enemies that each have a curse die. Oh, shit. Like, that's going to be terrible. But I can see it coming. And because I can see it coming, okay, now I can use one of the Bastion Tile's abilities to shift those monsters to a different location so that that now gives me more time to, to try to deal with them. Um, it, for such a simple system, in a sense, right? This is not a very deep rule book. And I should say that the Last Bastion rule book is substantially better than the Ghost Stories rule book. That was kind of a nightmare. Um, for such a simple system, there's a lot of really just clever tools to play with to solve the puzzle. It really does remind me, like, when to hear you exp- uh, comparing it to Ghost Story, it does remind me a lot of Raiders of Scythia, where it feels like Shem Phillips made this Raiders in the North Sea game, he sort of iterated it, and then eventually he was like, okay, this is the definitive 2.0 remake of it. And I definitely feel like Antoine Bowser did that with uh, with Last Bastion. Yeah, yeah the, only, yeah, the only issue is I know that there are some beloved expansions to Ghost Stories. It's kind of like what you were saying with Raiders. Like, like I have Raiders, and I have both of the expansions, and I like Raiders with all that junk in it, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I, my hesitancy of jumping into Scythia is I'm just like, well... Is it really going to be the same or as good as Raiders with all that stuff in it? Um, and I, I wonder if people would feel the same way about Last Bastion. Did uh, Ghost Story, so Ghost Stories had expansions? It had some cool expansions, ah. yeah, that people really liked. And Is that stuff I, integrated into Last Bastion? No, yeah. no. It's, well, I mean, I think maybe some of it, but not a lot of it. So, for example, one thing I think Last Bastion is lacking is... Um, more, it would be nice if there were more Bastion tiles. Like, as right. is, there really are just nine. And so it's not like every time you play, you're playing with, uh, like, a different Bastion entirely. It's just the setup of those tiles is different. Right. And, like, uh, a little expansion that give you three or four different Bastion tiles to add into the mix, and every time you played, it was it was, you know, an entirely separate fort. That would be really cool. Right, right. Ghost Story's got that then. I think so. Yeah, I Very think cool. so. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, and the last thing I'll say is that I think the reason why um, Last Bastion's going to stick in my collection, and, and I think it's going to be happily sit in my top 10 solo games, is that the difficulty has just been tuned uh, just right. Like, I, I do think that, that his subtle adjustments to the rules and to the tiles, like, for example, in Ghost Stories, there were a couple village locations that you could go there and they would give you a nice benefit but they also kind of punched you in the gut too like there was a negative to going to one of your village tiles oh. and in last bastion there's nothing like that like every tile is only positive and because of that i find that i actually do i do tend to use in most of my games every single 
location. At some point, um, I visit every single location, whereas that was not the case in ghost stories. Um, in ghost stories, you had to move first before activating a tile um, or attacking. And in Last Bastion, you can move after you fight or activate a tile. So there's just a little bit more flexibility in what you can do on your turn. And I think all of those subtle changes add up to being it being slightly easier. It's still very challenging, but I think the difficulty is just right. Right. Mike, do you have a history of ghost stories at all? Uh, I never had the physical game. I remember playing it on my iPad way back when and never beating it, but yeah. not a not a lot of experience. Actually, I should confess that is my experience with the Ghost Stories as well. So I've never played the board game, but I have been very very frustrated at the iPad version and wondered <laughs> why would everyone play? Why would anyone ever play this on a tabletop? It's right. Very <laughs> difficult. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of nostalgia for that for that game. It was you know, it was one of the first five games in my collection and really convinced me that there was there was cool shit going on in the hobby. It was definitely yeah, it was definitely I, I think a, a part of the, the, the renaissance. Yeah. Uh does either of you guys know uh Antoine Bowser's Seven Samurai game? Samurai Spirit. Does either of you know that game? I know uh, it, but I've never I've never jumped at it. It I mean it it looks like another kind of cool cooperative possibly solo game, right? That very much so. It's it's much smaller of course. It's only I'm sure you can probably get it for like $10. It's only cards, a couple of tokens. Um but very much a siege game based on seven samurai uh fending off a bunch of bandits and it's it's kind of like the card management stuff in Last Bastion. We've got to get through the deck. Uh, it's the same with Samurai Spirit, is you're the seven samurai who've come to the village, and you've just got to get through that deck of attacking bandits. Uh, and there's some really cool variability in what each of the samurai does um, and how they contribute to, to holding off the siege. Um, so, yeah, I really like that as well. Not not as fleshed out as uh, Last Bastion, though. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So, Paleo, Hadrian's Wall. Uh, Last Bastion, uh, what do you guys got coming up? What are you playing next? Uh, I'm probably going to be playing The Initiative. I picked that up from the store. Which I don't is, know what that is. What is that? It is a cooperative game that is kind of a frame, game in a game. You're playing these 1990s teenagers that found some weird board game at a garage sale. Oh, right. That's why I know what that is. Yeah, that sounds really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yep. So, and I can... Just looking at the components, I think there's more to what appears at first, but I, I'll save right. that for when I play it. Hassan, what do you got coming up? Do you know? Um, yeah, I've been I've been trying to get my wife and ten year old to play more Quest for El Dorado with me because I really I dig that design, and we I picked up the hexes expansion recently right. so uh, we're gonna throw at least some of that shit in there. I know my daughter is gonna love the fact that she now gets. Um, like a, an animal sidekick to start with. So, <laughs> oh, that's right. You can get the llama or the elephant, or yeah, yeah. they all have names. No, I love that. Yeah, yeah. we're definitely we're we're definitely going to throw that in there. Maybe not the hexes right away, but I, I I really like that game. It's cool. I do too. Yeah, yeah. Those hexes are uh, definitely like a power feature. Those are like super fiddly and a bit a bit of a pain in the butt. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think once you're good, I have arriving today. Um, Martin Wallace made this really weird tactical combat game called Wildlands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Uh, and it apparently, I had no idea this existed. Uh, the most they, they added like a couple of new factions for it you could buy separately. Uh, I think they've added boards that you could buy separately, like new arenas that you fight on. 
Just recently, he released something that claims, I'm very skeptical, but it claims to add solitaire support to Wildlands. I have hmm. no idea how it works. Uh, like I said, I'm skeptical, but I've got that coming today. So, <laughs> cool. We'll cool. see. Yeah, I'm always happy to give Martin Wallace the benefit of the doubt. That guy's just earned a ton of goodwill from me. He's made a bunch of crappy games, a bunch of great ones, but uh, overall, I'm happy to throw uh, money towards Martin Wallace. Yeah, he's he's such an interesting designer. He really runs the gamut from so heavy to so light to stuff that's awesome to stuff that's terrible. It's yeah. it's very it's very interesting to me. He's mm-hmm. he's certainly a very talented designer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. So we will then be back in three weeks, maybe to talk about some of those things that we just mentioned. Thank you very much for listening. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Mike Pullman and Hassan Lopez, and we'll talk with you guys next time. Cheers. It's so ridiculous. It's fantastic.